have been alive four and a half centuries. I am immortal. Hello and welcome to The Fortunate Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm your host, JT, and I'll be your tour guide as we explore the human condition and the journey of life. Apologies, folks, for letting that song run so long, but uh, yeah, it's a good positive song for me whenever I hear it. Make sure that, uh, you know, I get uh, my, my mind on the right track, make sure that I get my energy flowing in the right way. On uh, today's show, we're just going to do it a little bit different. Um, the last couple shows have been quite deep, quite uh, divisive types of shows that bring out a lot of emotion. And today we're going to we're going to have something that's a bit more lighthearted, something a bit more positive to me, which is food. So I'm going to give you a bit of a background of some of my favorite foods, what I like, uh, where my culinary backgrounds and tastes come from. So um, you know, we'll just go on a little bit of a tour. Um, you know, where I'm from, where I've lived, uh, some of the things that I've enjoyed the most. So uh, with that said, folks, I hope that everyone's uh, doing well. I hope that you're all uh, happy, healthy, and well. Uh, I hope that you haven't let the full moon affect you too much. Um, you know, uh, everyone's got a bit of a differing opinion about the full moon, but um, in my life, I've seen that it um, definitely has an effect on people's mental health. Uh, now, one theory that I've heard of that I think is actually a really good theory is the fact that uh, because our body is made up of so much water that the full moon has a tidal pull on us. Now, whether that's true or not, I've seen it really affect some people and, um, uh, you know, people who are normally quite placid uh, when the full moon's out, um, they act a bit strange. So, um, yeah, just, just make sure that uh, you're being careful when you're interacting with people out there, folks. It's not always the easiest time. Uh, now, aside from that, I want to make sure that I give, uh, you know, my traditional shout outs. So first and foremost, I've got a very special shout out for Joseph in Australia. Um, it was his birthday on June the 4th and, um, yeah, just wanted to say happy birthday, Joseph. Uh, you know, keep, keep, uh, keep up the positive things, you know, keep moving in the right direction. 
life's not easy, but you're doing really well uh, for someone who's um, so young. Uh, you've definitely uh, got your mind on the right track, so keep it up. I want to make sure I give a shout-out to um, Adriana in Texas, you know, good friend, uh, good uh, supporter of the show, um, and a frontline, um, you know, person who's working in the healthcare right now with the COVID-19. So, you know, keep it up and, um, you know, try and keep positive. I know it's not easy. Uh, shout out to Brooke and her family in Virginia, uh, to my friends Harry and Lisa in North Carolina, as always, uh, to my friend Abby in California, Eddie in California, Chris in Illinois, uh, Adrian, who's uh, got his project online about mental health, my friend Jason in Ponsonby, and as always, Scott in Missouri and his podcast, The Old 77. Thanks, Scott. Uh, thanks, as always, for your help with the uh, show's audio and producing that you've given me. Uh, folks, uh, the total overall plays for the program has now hit 158, which, again, might not sound massive, but to me it's been something very, you know, very positive, a uh, very good outcome for the show. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's meant a lot to me. Thanks again to everyone who listens. I do appreciate it, and uh, you know, I appreciate you taking some time out of your life to listen to what I've got to say. Uh, sorry, one other thing I forgot about um, when I did the shout-outs. I uh, just want to shout-out to my family in Montana. You all know who you are. Uh, thanks for supporting me. Thanks for the uh, love and kindness you've shown me and the positive words. So, um, you know, as, as I said a little bit before, so uh, on tonight's program, we'll go on a bit of a culinary tour. I'll give you a bit of a rundown of JT's life, where I've been, and how my culinary um, influences have changed over time. Um, so, you know, we'll get into that after I give you three reasons that the world doesn't suck. So, um, for those of you who don't know, this is always a segment I try and have on every show. Three positive stories out there because there's so much negative in the world right now. And I always try to give you three reasons why the world doesn't suck. Uh, one other note, uh, just on the sound quality today, folks, um, please bear with me. It's a bit earlier in the day. Uh, usually I film, the, or sorry, I uh, record the programs uh, in the evening, you know, overnight where there's not much traffic. But um, today uh, it's Sunday afternoon and, um, you know, we've, we've got a few, uh, few people who uh, can't keep to the speed limit. So if you hear any cars uh, ripping through on the audio, I do apologize in advance. So now over to the, uh, the three reasons why the world doesn't suck today. Uh, the first story comes from the goodnewsnetwork.org, and uh, this was published on October 25th, 2019, by David Freiberg, MD, and um, this is uh, titled, Science of Kindness Shows Just How Important Hugging Is for Our Mental and Physical Health. So, um, yeah, folks, uh, just get into this article for you. Just read a bit, as I always do, and then I'll make sure I put links in the show notes. So it says, uh, at the times in my life when I have been angry or upset, a good hug has usually been a very quick remedy for whatever was ailing me. After receiving a warm and genuine embrace from a loved one or friend, the tension in my body would melt and away almost immediately. And while the problem itself may not have changed, my reaction to it had. I have witnessed the same reaction in other people as well, and I'm guessing that you have too. But how does a hug deliver such a remarkable effect so quickly? Touch is a powerful means of communication. By making physical connection with each other, people's intentions are readily discernible. 
whether they are comforting and helpful or antagonistic and potentially harmful. In the positive pro-social mode, hugs are one type of touch that relays the message, I care about you, you matter. We require touch with other living beings in order to flourish. The importance of physical contact was painfully observed in the orphanages of Romania. Children who were provided food but not held or hugged had significant developmental and socioeconomic delay accompanied by smaller brains. This means that physical contact is not only critical for how these children behaved, but for the development of the brain itself, something which had always been observed in animals and subjected to social isolation. So uh, I, I won't read the whole article here, folks, because it's, you know, it's, it's quite long. This is another one that's probably a good 10-minute read. But again, it's just backing up the science that um, I've heard, and I'm sure that, uh, that many of you have as well, that uh, you know, good physical interaction is important to all of our mental development. And that physical interaction, you know, uh, when you're a child, it really affects um, how, our, how we go uh, as we get older, you know. Animals, for example, with dogs, uh, dogs don't don't know uh, the difference between good touching and bad touching. That's why when people will, you know, like smack a dog on the bum or on the snout, um, the dogs kind of caught it back because two two dogs and their natural pack mentality, it's uh, you know touching is always a positive thing. So this is why uh, it's easy to confuse an animal, you know, by uh, you know treating it nice physically once and then uh, maybe giving it a smack. So now on to the second story uh, today, which is uh, from thegoodnewsnetwork.org. And uh, this one is from May 28, 2019. And this one is titled, Thousands of People Have Been Encouraged by Mom's Yard Signs and Their Feedback Has Been Amazing. So this was uh, written by McKinley Corbley. And uh, the article reads, um, Thousands of encouraging roadside signs have been popping up around the world, and it's all thanks to one woman who felt helpless in the face of mental illness. Amy Wolf has, was first inspired to start erecting the inspirational signs after she had a heartbreaking discussion with an acquaintance in May of 2017. We were hanging out with friends when one of them mentioned the suicide rates in our community, and I fell out of my chair, says Wolf. I felt completely hopeless and ill-equipped to be part of a solution. After all, I wasn't a therapist. I didn't know of anyone suffering with thoughts of self-harm. What on earth could I do? Despite her initial feelings of helplessness, Wolf got the idea to start putting up motivational signs in people's yards. For the following two weeks, she and her kids started knocking on people's doors across the town of Newburgh, Oregon, and asking if they could put up signs featuring messages like, Don't give up, and your mistakes don't define you. Wolf Wolf then started receiving messages from other people in the community wanting to buy the signs, and within a few days, Wolf had sold over 150 of the yard signs. The very same night, Wolf's husband designed her a website to sell the signs at cost. The movement really picked up traction when family friends road tripped that summer from Portland to Rochester, leaving a trail of our messages in every public bathroom, restaurant, and rest station across this great country, says Wolf. So that would be Rochester, New York, I'm thinking, or Minnesota. But either way, uh, quite a long ways from uh, Portland, Oregon. Within a year, we had public news outlets in, in Dallas. Sorry, we had news outlets in Dallas, Boston, Massachusetts, Cincinnati, and Portland cover our movement, she added. I guess generous love with no strings attached was newsworthy. I guess yard signs were genius. By the fall of 2018, Wolf realized that her initiative was not going to slow down anytime soon, so she then launched the Don't Give Up nonprofit for her signs. 
Since she planted her first sign two years ago, she, she has shipped the nonprofit's messages of encouragement to all 50 states and 26 languages, 26 countries and six languages. With May being Mental Health Awareness Month, the testimonies that Wolf has received from, si from sign owners uh, are particularly significant. One sign owner told the nonprofit, I just had a woman knock on my door. She began to cry and thank me for signs in my yard. She lives up the road and said her son had attempted suicide, and these signs were in the yard the day that, that they came home from the hospital. She drives by every day, and for her, her son, and her daughter, the reminder is profound. So um, there's a little bit more here, folks, but as always, I try and leave a bit of the reading to you. But um, look, this is a perfect example of the fact that um, small things can make a big difference to people. Um, you never know what your fellow human is going through. We, we never know what um, someone's struggles are. And sometimes it just takes that little bit of positive um, reinforcement to say, hey, don't give up, you know, um, just keep keep on trucking. And, um, you know, this is why over on the uh, Instagram page for The Fortunate Son, I try to post some positive quotes. I try and post up some, you know, some positive reinforcement for people. Because uh, sometimes, you know, even for me, you know, there are times where I just feel a bit mentally down. I'll read something positive or uh, like at the beginning of uh, tonight's program, you know, I'll listen to some positive music, just something that's got a good positive beat to it. And, um, you know, it'll get it'll get my brain flowing in the right direction. So don't think that you can't change things in the world, uh, you know, one voice at a time. Sometimes that's all it takes is is just someone to tell someone. Hey, look, don't give up, you know. So uh, that's a really good positive uh, story, and uh, you know, I I tip my cap to uh, tip my cap to Mrs. Wolf, uh, Mrs. Amy Wolf, and her family for that positive uh, story. So uh, the last story for today, the last of the uh, three reasons why the world doesn't suck today, comes from uh, EverWideningCircles.com, and uh, this article is called "What If Mass Media Was Used for Good." Um, sorry, folks, I'm just struggling to find a date, but again, I'll, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, this is quite a long article, so I will just cover it over briefly. And it says, if a photograph is worth a thousand words, what positive change could we grow if we use that media for good? Ripple Effect Images has been harnessing the power of media and storytelling for almost a decade to support organizations making a big difference in the life of impoverished women and children around the globe. What if the content we consume provided solutions to the biggest problems faced right now in the world? The team behind Ripple Effect Images is traveling the globe to tell the stories of organizations on the ground who are changing the world for those most in need. Their images shine a light on what's possible, and the stories they tell inspire us all to become a greater part of that progress. Let's see what this great organization has been up to. If you see the problems and the solution, then it's educational. There is an endless number of organizations out there on a mission to do good, to improve health, the planet, and economies. But very often, their innovative solutions aren't given the exposure or funding to reach their full potential and greatest impact. That's where the crew of masterful storytellers comes in. Ripple Effect Images, Ripple for short, is a group of National Geographic contributing photojournalists who have been Pulitzer, Emmy, and World Press honorees, as well as a recipient of the National Humanities Medal. 
They're out there capturing the stories of those hard at work in some of the world's most impoverished places, documenting the influence these groups have on lives of an individual and community level, from supporting education, a growing economy, energy, infrastructure, and providing much-needed medical care. So um, it looks like, folks, uh, you know, there's some videos here. And, uh, you know, it's basically what it is, is um, this story is about using your platform for positive. So what these people who, uh, you know, photographers, journalists, etc., who are quite well known, um, you know, in their fields, they have decided to use uh, their voices to highlight some of these good uh, charities and nonprofit organizations that are trying to make some positive impacts in people's lives, especially in the third world. So, um, you know, I, again, I think oftentimes in our lives, you know, people come to a point where they say, well, I want to give back. I want to do something to help my fellow, fellow man, fellow woman. Uh, and that's why, you know, I started this podcast, for example. Part of it was to document, you know, some of the things that have gone in through my life, but part of it is really to try and get back and, and try and help, uh, you know, humanity, um, for lack of a better term, just try and do something positive and try and show a bit of empathy for what people are going through. So again, you know, um, this is just a really good example of people using their voice, um, especially in uh, the Western world to help those in the developing world. So, um, look, I'll make sure that I include that in the show notes as always. And, uh, that is a wrap up of the three reasons the world doesn't suck today. Well, folks, and now on to the main subject of today's program, which is about food, um, my personal food journey, what I enjoy, kind of how my culinary ch tastes have changed over time, and um, yeah, give you a few of my favorite recipes as well as we as we uh, go along on this journey. So for those of you who don't know much about the Pacific Northwest, um, where I'm originally from, you know, where my family's from, uh, it's pretty severe seasons. So, you know, it's very cold in winter. Um, spring and autumn are both quite cold. And then, you know, during the summer, it gets quite hot. It's a short summer, but it's a very hot summer. So, you know, we'll get, um, when I was growing up anyway, we'd always get up into the 90s, um, you know, Fahrenheit, which is in the mid-30s. Uh, Celsius. So yeah, you know, uh, it's it, it, basically the reason why I'm saying this is just to give you an idea of a bit of the uh, the food culture uh, when I was growing up. 
So, you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, a lot of people ate a lot of soups and uh, heavy food stews and things and that in the winter. Um, you know, we had a small farm, as I said, you know, 14 acres. My mom used to grow two, two and a half acres worth of uh, vegetables on top of working her job. So we had vegetables in a lot of, uh, in a lot of our dishes. Uh, we grew up eating a lot of game as well because, again, being from that area, uh, a neighbor might um, go out and hunt and shoot a deer or, or something and share it with you. So, you know, we grew up eating a lot of deer, venison, uh, bear meat, uh, antelope, buffalo, uh, caribou, which is uh, reindeer. Um, you name it, you know, we, we ate a lot of those things. Also a lot of fish. We had a lot of salmon there, uh, especially being in the, um, you know, close to the areas where there's a lot of salmon. Uh, there were salmon that uh, lived in the, in the large lake nearby where uh, we lived. Um, we ate a lot of trout. Uh, fried trout with eggs is one of the things that I've always enjoyed. So just trout fillets, you know, uh, or whole trout, um, just with a little bit of salt and pepper and fried with eggs in the morning for breakfast. That's always good. Being from Idaho, obviously, we ate a lot of potatoes. Um, so we ate a lot of, um, you know, hash browns and um, fried potatoes, baked potatoes, boiled potatoes, you name it. <laughs> we, 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 we had it. Uh, also, our area of the world, uh, our neck of the woods, um, as uh, the saying goes, uh, you know, famous for a lot of stone fruits in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, cherries, apricots, peaches, uh, apples, um, all of those sorts of things. We used to go uh, picking uh, wild raspberries and blackberries, as well as uh, a um, kind of well-known by the name, but not so well-known by people who have actually had it, uh, huckleberry which is a wild berry. It's similar to a blueberry, but much sweeter. And um, they've struggled for years to find a way to uh, grow them commercially. Um, they've never managed to work it out quite, so huckleberries are still in kind of high demand uh, in the foodie market. Uh, wild mushrooms is another thing that we grow up eating a lot. Um, so morel mushrooms, uh, puffball mushrooms, uh, chicken of the woods, and many others. You know, we always enjoyed those growing up. Uh, also, uh, wild asparagus. We used to go, mom used to take us uh, along the railroad tracks and, uh, you know, harvest wild asparagus when I was growing up. So that's another thing we really enjoyed. So we did a lot of uh, hunting and foraging as well as uh, growing our own food. Uh, but yeah, that, that gives you a little bit of an idea of the food, uh, you know, from where uh, I'm originally from. As far as favorite dishes growing up, you know, um, mom was always known as a good cook. So, you know, she did things like um, chicken fried steak. Um, that was one of her, you know, uh, well-known kind of famous dishes. Uh, potato salad, um, liver and onions, uh, which I wasn't a real big fan of. But, uh, you know, a lot of other people like it. Uh, you know, we, we ate a lot of, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, around the world, it's called peasant food. So, you know, like we used to eat beef tongue and, and, and heart and um, chicken gizzards and hearts. We didn't waste a lot. We didn't throw a lot away. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for the fact that we grew up in that way because um, there's very little in the world that I won't at least try. And uh, many of the things that I've tried, I've enjoyed. Now, um, you know, where we were from, it was... You know, yeah, we, we had American Indians around, but pretty much uh, the area of the country I grew up in, and at the time I grew up in, you didn't have a lot of cultural influences, so it was basically, you know, it was basically uh, white American food, for lack of a better term, you know, um, 
like I say, I've said it before, it's not really my favorite terminology to break things down by, uh, by color, but, um, for, you know, so that people understand, you know, we're talking about kind of really American foods, um, and especially, especially, uh, you know, kind of more the Northern foods. Um, but, uh, for whatever reason, mom had a lot of, um, Southern, you know, uh, cooking styles. I, I don't know quite where she got it from, but, um, one thing I'm very thankful was growing up, you know, my mom always encouraged, a bit of diversity in, in cooking and eating. So, you know, you didn't get that, oh, well, that's ethnic food, so we're not going to eat it. Uh, you know, we ate all kinds of things. Um, at Christmas and New Year's, we used to kind of have um, trays. So we would have things like pickled pig's feet and uh, smoked oysters, uh, all kinds of salamis and uh, cheeses and that. Uh, I've always been a big fan of small goods, uh, sausage, salami, things like that. I know they're not really good for you, but uh, that's one of my favorite go-to foods is that kind of stuff. So, you know, mom also, um, you know, we, we ate a lot of kind of, um, uh, what's the like, uh, right term, Americanized versions of things like tacos and, and spaghetti and, um, you know, Asian foods uh, like um, chow mein and things like that. Uh, I really enjoyed a few places growing up. Uh, uh, I was talking to um, a member of the family the other day, and we were reminiscing about some places we used to go uh, when I was a boy. Uh, one of them was the Hoot Owl in uh, Pont Idaho, and um, you know they they had a good uh, good menu, and they used to make a few uh, you know kind of um, uh, Americanized versions of some Mexican food that I really enjoyed. Um, there was the Hydra Steakhouse in town. We, we didn't really go for dinner a lot, but, um, you know, we used to go in there and eat um, for breakfast quite a bit. And again, uh, I was always kind of wanting to try the kind of different things. So, uh, you know, I ate kind of bratwurst and uh, Polish sausage in there with my breakfast. I can still remember all these years on. Um, you know, there was a place in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho called... Uh, Papa Bears or Big Bears, something along those lines. And I always used to want to get fish and chips when we went in there. Um, yeah, you know, so again, just where I'm from, you didn't get a lot of that uh, kind of diversity you have now today where you can get all kinds of um, different um, different foods from all over the world in most big cities. Uh, one of our biggest treats, you know, growing up was going to the Iron Horse in Coeur d'Alene, which was uh, kind of a seafood smorgasbord or uh, uh, kind of buffet. And mom's rule was always that we had to eat at least two plates or she wouldn't take us again because it was very expensive. And, um, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of a uh, lot of money growing up. But um, when we got to go, always loved it. And then when we would go over to Spokane, there was a place called the Far East, which was, um, you know, my favorite, uh, you know, Chinese Chinese food uh, place uh, growing up. Always loved going there. Um, I can't remember all the dishes, but I know that they had some of the best things like fried rice and that that. Um, that I've ever had in my life. So, uh, you know, also uh, mom would bring home a lot of cookbooks and things and we would go through cookbooks and kind of get to choose different things that I liked and I would get encouraged to cook different things. You know, mom had me in the kitchen from the age of five, uh, much to the consternation of my real father, who uh, I remember him calling my mom when I was, you know, five or six and telling her, keep me out of the kitchen. Um, you know, he didn't want me to uh, end up growing up gay because I, uh, I was in the kitchen at such a young age. And mom had quite a laugh at that. And she told him, you do realize that the, the, uh, the most famous and uh, most wealthy chefs in the world are all men, right? at that time. And that was probably the truth. You know, this is in the uh, early 80s. But um, anyway, you know, he, he didn't want to, he, he didn't want to borrow it. 
Well, uh, you know, at that time, as far as kind of chef influences, my biggest influences were probably the um, the frugal gourmet out of Seattle. Um, it's a bit of a uh, he's he's got a bit of a black mark now, and he's not really talked about. He's passed on, but apparently, uh, in the time since I left the Northwest and. When I looked into it a few years ago, he'd been, um, you know, there were several historical cases of him uh, molesting uh, boys and young men and, uh, you know, uh, sexual allegations on his show. But, uh, you know, again, at that time, I had no idea. Um, but, you know, he used to kind of encourage a bit of, uh, again, uh, you know, just spreading your uh, horizons as far as food goes. And um, at that time in that area, there weren't a lot of people doing it. Um, also, uh, Graham Kerr, um, the, uh, the galloping gourmet and Graham Kerr's shows, uh, apparently when I was growing up, I used to love them. I used to sit there and watch them all the time. So, um, always enjoyed that. And then, um, you know, then from then, um, you know, there were other places that I liked, of course, but then we, uh, we ended up moving to the Midwest. Um, and the Midwest is, is quite a different, um, you know, whole different, uh, upbringing on things. Uh, a lot of fried foods, a lot of battered and uh, kind of heavy foods. It's quite cold there in the winters again. Uh, so, for example, in central Illinois, one of the kind of um, uh, key items that uh, is on most menus, I don't know about now, but back then, you know, you had things like, uh, you know, hot, hot beef sandwiches or hot pork or hot chicken or turkey, which is like a sandwich with potatoes and gravy. Uh, tastes great. Uh, probably not the best for you, but I always enjoyed it. Um, also we had a couple of items on the menu at the restaurant I started working at when I was 13 and, uh, one was a pony shoe and one was a horseshoe. So it was like an open faced hamburger with, uh, with, uh, French fries around it or chips, you would say here, and then all covered in cheese sauce and a pony shoe was a smaller version and a horseshoe was a larger plate. Um, you know, you looked at a lot of those foods in the Midwest and you could see why people would die at 50 or 60 with heart problems and that. But um, nonetheless, you know, uh, really good food. You just would have to obviously watch the quantities you ate. Um, you know, in the Midwest is when I personally really started getting into drinking iced tea because it was so hot there in the summers. And, uh, you know, you got tired of just drinking water all day. And, um, yeah, so, you know, iced tea was definitely on the menu for many people. Um, again, got introduced to a lot of real comfort foods there and, uh, ate a lot of things like Salisbury steak, uh, beef stroganoff and, uh, you know, really developed a, a taste for some of those foods. Um, and then later on when I moved to California, um, that's where I really got a big, uh, big change and, you know, kind of my culinary spread because in Southern California, there were so many things that you would never dream of having, uh, you know, in the other two places where I'd lived at that point, um, you know, things like, uh, Mexican food, of course, and all kinds of, uh, Latin American foods, um, Caribbean foods, uh, food from all over the world. There was a good English pub I used to go to called Penny Lane, obviously with the Beatles, uh, Beatles uh, moniker. I used to go and have, um, you know, like uh, Guinness pie, beef Guinness pie, or uh, Irish stew there, fish and chips, you know, really good fish and chips. And um, with Southern California was the first time in my life that uh, you really got into kind of micro brews, and there were all kinds of uh, beers, you know, brewed in California, different kinds of, uh, you know, flavorings. That was the first place that I tried things like Scottish ale, I uh, used to drink uh, Newcastle Ale, among others. Uh, I really developed a flavor for 
a beer out of England called Abbott Ale, which I still enjoy to this day when I can get my hands on it. And yeah, that's probably the first place I really started drinking more than uh, your major uh, Budweiser's and, um, you know, Bush Beer and Old Milwaukee and all of that sort of stuff. Um, when I first lived in California, I used to live in a town called Fallbrook. And uh, in Fallbrook, you know, there was a really good Mexican place there I used to go to. Uh, a a uh, family member, so the father of a person who I used to live with, um, they were from the same state from Michoacan in Mexico. And so I used to go into this restaurant and, um, man, really good food. And uh, they used to laugh at me because I was the only white guy they said that would go in and eat uh, lengua, which was uh, which is the Spanish name for tongue. And, uh, you know, he used to go in and get that or heart tacos, things like that. And uh, that's why they probably started out thinking I was uh, A-OK. Now, in Southern California, you know, had really good produce as well. And, uh, you know, some of the good fresh uh, food that... Uh, didn't get so much in the Midwest. That's where it gets shipped from in the winter. Uh, so, you know, things like avocados, Valencia oranges, all of that uh, that good stuff. Uh, I forgot about, um, you know, where I started out at in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I forgot a couple of things, sorry. So there were a couple of seasonings. One was called Alpine Spice, which was a real Northwest thing. And the other one was um, uh, Johnny Seasoning Salt, which came from Johnny's Restaurant in Seattle. I only found out within the last, you know, 10 years ago or so that uh, Johnny was a Jamaican and he'd gone there and started this restaurant. And so there are all kinds of seasonings and that that you can find. Uh, also, Skipper's Seafood in the Pacific Northwest, which did a really good clam chowder. There's still a few around. I've looked it up, but um, obviously I'm a long way from there now. So back over to California, you know, there were all kinds of um, really good places there that I ate and I enjoyed. A few that come to mind I can remember of, there was Nessie Burger in um, Fallbrook. There was the Great Wall Chinese Restaurant, which was really good. They always treated me really well when I used to go in there. I didn't have a lot of money, and so, um, you know, I enjoyed going in there once a week and uh, on my days off and having a nice meal, you know, uh, some, some good Chinese, something different. Not so much your homogenized, um, Americanized um, Chinese food. It still was to a degree, but it, it was a lot different than the food I'd had in the Midwest and uh, in the Northwest as far as, you know, getting down to the authentic side of it. Obviously, again, you know, the, the best Mexican food that I personally had was always in Southern California, all kinds of places. And uh, I really started getting introduced to things like um, Greek food as well in Southern California. Uh, things like um, Eros, you would call them uh, there. Uh, a lot of places call them shawarma, uh, something very similar. Or uh, there, there are other names, but, um, you know, always enjoyed that. Uh, as well as, uh, you know, later on P.F. Chang's came in, and, which really changed the, uh, the Chinese food. And there was another place I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, the owner came in when I worked at Albertsons in Escondido, and he was starting this uh, this branch in that town. And every time I'd go in, you know, they'd always treat me like a VIP, which was kind of cool because, like I said, I didn't have a lot. But, um, yeah, you know, and we'd always eaten steak and that. But uh, when I started working in the supermarket, I really started developing more of a palate for uh, things like red meat, steak, um, in the Midwest, we ate a lot of pork, which is always good. But, uh, you know, Southern California is quite a melting pot. And I really got in, 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 uh, involved in some of those things, really got to enjoy some of those foods I hadn't before. So also when I lived in uh, Southern California, I really got introduced to 
truly fresh um, seafood. So uh, you know, I ran the um, I ran the seafood and meat service counter at uh, Albertsons for a good many years. And when I lived in the Midwest, obviously you're thousands of miles from the sea, and even in the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, I'd I'd had some, and I'd been introduced to a, a few uh, things, you know, that were quite good, like Dungeness crabs and that. We always loved oysters and shrimp and that, prawns, when I was growing up, but um, it was just obviously a lot further from the sea. So, uh, you know, living in Southern California, living in San Diego area, uh, although most of the seafood there doesn't come from right in that area, uh, you know, I really got um, introduced to some really good fresh seafood. Another thing was uh, fresh sushi, basically having it made, you know, to order used to have uh, a, a a certain supplier who would come in and actually make it in our store and then you know put it out for sale and they'd come in once or twice a, a week and do it so you know that that was another thing that was really uh, quite good that uh, I really got introduced to firstly there um, Japanese food you know and uh, that's that's become a you know an ongoing thing for me uh, for the rest of my life I've really enjoyed Japanese food and, and again, I mean, it's just all of the variety that Southern California had to off offer. Uh, you know, very close uh, friends of mine that were like family, uh, who were, uh, you know, uh, Dutch heritage, uh, born in the U.S., but Dutch heritage. And they introduced me to um, to some really great Dutch stuff, um, things like uh, Bolterkoek, uh, um, the, the, the great Dutch cheeses and the small goods. Um, not such a fan of the droppias, which is like a, a salted licorice candy. Uh, I know the person who uh, who I'm talking about right now. Um, he'll be having a laugh probably when he hears this. But yeah, uh, not such a fan of droppias, but a lot of other things in, in Dutch food that I really enjoyed. Uh, we used to go to Continental Deli in Escondido and go in there and you'd pick out, you know, different shaved meats and they'd make you a sandwich on the spot. Um, yeah, fond memories of that. Uh, Peterson's Donuts in Escondido was another place like that that's um you know used to go and get bear claws and crawlers and all kinds of things um then we uh, had crispy cream there in southern california that's the first time i'd had that um yeah just just a lot of things like that's being in southern california that's when i first really got introduced to uh you know true new york style cheesecake and then um one of the real pillars of my cooking uh you know my cooking kind of flair and flavor was spending the time that I did at uh, Vince's uh, restaurant in Fallbrook. So uh, Vince, Vince, Vince Aguera, um, who was the owner and uh, second generation uh, um, American, uh, you know, his dad was an immigrant. And uh, Vince was born and raised in uh, the U.S. And uh, Vince taught me that things don't have to be complicated to be good. So one of my absolute favorite things, folks, uh, Italian dish is... Um, you just take some butter and some olive oil. And at the time, you know, we, we just did it because we were told to do it. But I've learned over time the reason why. If you don't add olive oil, um, the butter will burn. So you just melt your butter, your olive oil, throw in some chopped garlic as much as you like. Um, and then for me, I like uh, some pine nuts and like some diced chicken, some diced mushrooms. Uh, obviously, if you're cooking this all from scratch, Put the mushrooms in first because they take longer to cook and uh, the chicken um, obviously if it's raw you want to put it in first um, and then you know you cook all of that through so it's it's cooked through uh, just maybe a little bit of salt and then right at the end 
you want to put in like a good handful of two of, of like, um, we used to use Pecorino Romano. And for those of you who don't know, um, Parmesan is made from cow's milk. Uh, Romano is made from sheep milk. And for me personally, I just like the salty bite of Romano better. A couple handfuls of Romano, and then uh, you put in your pasta and just toss it. And that's it. Just really simple. But oh, man, so good. I mean, not great for your heart, I'm sure, you know, and not great for your waist, but oh man, is it good. And you see, it's the very simple dishes like this that uh, I learned from Vince. So Vince's was, um, you know, Vince never made any illusions. We weren't making gourmet creations. Uh, you know, it was cheap and nasty. It was good food, you know, don't get me wrong, but uh, it was a low price point. Uh, it was about turnover and it was about turning out food. But, you know, this is where I really went from being, I'd always liked Italian cuisine, but this is where I went from being just kind of a dabbler to actually knowing a lot of the dishes and, and where the food came from, what regions of Italy and that. I learned it all, uh, you know, all of these things at Vince's. And it really drove me to have a lifelong, you know, uh, uh, joy of Italian food. Now, to this day, folks, um, I can very rarely go more than a week or two uh, without having some kind of Italian food because I just... I, I crave it all the time. You know, it's really funny because uh, what my DNA says is that I've got no Italian, but uh, my stomach's definitely got some Italian in it. I'll tell you that because it, it loves it loves uh, any Italian food, you know. So, you know, we used to make things like homemade Alfredo, which I know how to make. We used to do all of our own, uh, you know, we did our bread. Um, we cut the bread for the garlic bread, but uh, I had to bake the other breads. Like, uh, you know, we had like what you would call now artisan bread. We used to make all of our own desserts, things like tiramisu, cheesecakes, uh, cookies, and, and, and whatnot. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, a lot of learning. I mean, I didn't get paid a whole hell of a lot, but I'll tell you what. I, I've really taken what I learned there for the rest of my life, and, and I miss those days. You know, um, I think most people, as we get older, we think back to a simpler time. That was one of the simpler times for me. I mean, life wasn't easy. Like I said, I wasn't making a lot. Um, but, you know, I enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed most of the people I worked with. I enjoyed the customers. We had some really nice customers. Duke Snyder used to come in and eat. Uh, if you don't know who Duke Snyder is, he's uh, he, he was a Hall of Fame uh, baseball player for the Brooklyn Dodgers. He's since passed on. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, Weird Al Yankovic's uncle, uh, Joe Vivalda, he was uh, best friends with Vince, and uh, Weird Al came in a few times, and it's really quite funny because as a kid, uh, I was a huge Weird Al fan, and the time he came in that I worked there, I was out of work with the chicken pox, no less. So here I was, 18 years old, and I had the damn chicken pox, and Weird Al comes in and meets all the staff and signs things, and here I am at home. I couldn't even see him. Oh, man, I was gutted. But yeah, you know, all those kinds of things. We made homemade biscotti. Uh, we made pasta fazool. Uh, we made all sorts of things. Uh, to this day, folks, I can close my eyes and walk my way through most of the recipes. Now, you know, it's been nearly 25 years, you know, so it's, it's, it's pretty nuts. Well, yeah, it'd be 24, 25 years. Um, but, you know, a lot of those things I've never forgotten. I, I'll never forget them until the day I die, and I appreciate getting to learn that stuff. Um, you know, and there were there were lots of other things there in Southern California, but um, the, the time at Vince's, the time at Albertson's, you know, being exposed to uh, things like when I worked in the deli, all the different beautiful meats and cold cuts we used to get, like, uh, you know, the Black Forest ham and all of that. And uh, really, those are the things I miss from the U.S. Um, yes, I miss my friends. Yes, I miss family and that, but I, I miss the food, you know. 
I miss Ben and Jerry's ice cream. We've just got it here, you know, recently, but not all the flavors. Uh, I miss some of the things like uh, Spumoni ice cream, which is uh, three different flavors. So it's uh, pistachio, uh, cherry with the uh, maraschino cherries in the ice cream and chocolate. So it's tricolor like the Italian flag. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, all of these things, you know, I, I really miss. And uh, But, you know, thankfully, I learned how to cook most of these things. You know, when I was in California, I learned how to make uh, carne asada. I learned some really good recipes. I also learned uh, how to make different things like sopas and gorditas and all of these things, you know. So when I open up a recipe book, um, you know, I might need a little bit of a uh, – uh, either a refresher or maybe just, hey, I remember we used to make this, but I don't know necessarily how, um, you know, just get a bit of a refresher and then I'm good to go from there. Look, folks, uh, aside from the, uh, you know, the pasta dish, I will in future give you some more recipes and give you an idea. I don't want to run this show super long as some of them have been. So um, basically we're going to, this is part one, okay, of this, of kind of the, the, the culinary journey. And then I'll do a part two sometime in the near future. It won't be the next episode, but it'll be fairly, fairly uh, on in the future. Now, listen, if you're at home and you're listening to this and you've enjoyed what I'm talking about, talking about these recipes, some of these things, ask me, you know, send me an email at the fortunate son podcast at gmail.com. Send me a voice message on the uh, anchor app. Get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and ask me, you know, hey, John, uh, Tell me how to make this. Tell me how to make that your way, you know, and I'll do my best to repeat it over the air. Uh, a lot of the cooking that I've learned as I've aged, I don't necessarily measure. I do it by taste. And I know that drives some people crazy, but that's how my mom was. And it, the, the more I've aged, I just start. I know what I need to do. I know the basic background. You know, I might need a little more salt, a little more da-da-da-da-da, so on and so forth. And I'll just kind of add it as I go. Or if, if meat's a bit tough, cook it a bit longer, you know. So, um, yeah, you know, if there's something that you've heard that you really enjoy, let me know. And, uh, you know, I'll try and do my best to uh, kind of read the recipe in the podcast so that you've got it. Yeah, you know, uh, aside from that, like I said, a lot of good food in Southern California, a lot of variety. And, um, you know, I'm only kind of scratching the surface of a lifelong journey. As I say, I'm a lifelong lover of food. It's my real passion. You know, um, aside from everything else in life I enjoy – it's food, it's cooking, it's preparing the meal, it's enjoying the meal. And for me as a cook, most importantly, it's seeing someone enjoy it. I'm the type, I, I am like the, the doddering mother or uh, grandmother that will keep asking, is it okay? Is it all right? Did you, you know, does it, how does this taste? And I'll describe how I'm cooking it. It drives uh, my partner by crazy, you know, oftentimes because she just wants to eat. But uh, to me, all my love has gone into the food, okay? So this is why it's so important to me that people enjoy it. You know, when I really put my love into something, um, you know, I, I want people to enjoy it and I want to make sure they're having the absolute best experience they can. Uh, but yeah, you know, I've got lots of recipes of floating around in my mind. I should, uh, you know, put down to paper one day. And then there's a lot that as I've come to New Zealand that I've carried on, even in Italian food and that I've learned different things that I didn't used to make in Southern California that I've started making here. So uh, with that, folks, uh, I won't keep you any longer on today's episode, but um, I, I hope that you really did enjoy it. I hope that uh, this is something that you want to know more about. 
you know, as we move ahead, I hope that, uh, you know, you do want to know more about things that I used to cook or, or how I did. Uh, you know, some of my, my friends that have been around me for a long time, there might be recipes you hear me talking about. You want to know that recipe? Again, just let me know, and, uh, and I'll do my best to uh, commit it to memory, as the saying goes. Well, aside from that, folks, I really do hope that you have a great week. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you're happy, healthy, and well, and uh, your family's safe. And uh, remember, just count every day as a blessing because we never know when we're going to wake up for the last day. And uh, every day that you get from now, you know, from now on, it's all uh, money in the bank, as the saying goes. It's it, it's just another day, another gift that not everyone gets to enjoy. So you know, do your best. Um, I'm reminded by you know some friends of mine, uh, my friend Brooke in uh, Virginia. You know, she recently lost a coworker to uh, COVID-19. And it's really heart-wrenching when you read about it because you've, you know, again, I try not to get too uh, too into, uh, you know, some of the things that uh, people are hot-button topics over. But it drives me nuts with this COVID-19 that, you know, people saying that it's all a big scam and a hoax. Well, you know, people are dying. People know people who are dying. Uh, you, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a conspiracy that it was man-made or whatever, it doesn't matter. People are dying, Okay. So show a little bit of empathy and sympathy for those people who are losing family members and friends and dear loved ones. Uh, this fella, Aaron, that uh, Brooke worked with her workmate, he seemed to be a really good guy and sadly was very close to uh, retirement, as it always seems. You know, it's it, it, it's really it's really it's really hard. Um, so Brooke, you know, from the bottom of my heart, um, you know, uh, I do feel for you, and I'm sorry that uh, you know Aaron uh, lost his battle with COVID-19, and uh, hopefully. Things will get better before they get worse, and uh, that people in general in the world won't have to go through this much longer. Uh, aside from that, everyone, as I say, you have a good week. I'll uh, do my best to get another episode out in about the same time, you know, three, four days, something like that. That's what I've been aiming for, roughly two episodes a week while I've got the time. Aside from that, you have the best day and the best week you possibly can. And from the bottom of my heart, I love you all. Take care. <laughs>